Hey, what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 158 of Life and Lessons. This week, you're going to hear a conversation I had with Thomas Frank. Thomas is an author and YouTuber who's amassed over 2.8 million subscribers and over 170 million views on his productivity content. In the next hour, you're going to learn some of the key routines in Thomas's day and how he uses them to remain focused, productive, healthy, and moving towards his goals, why life is about balance before anything else, and how to understand and lean into the different seasons in your life appropriately, the problem with so-called hustle culture and how the very concept itself falls apart under even the slightest amount of scrutiny, what advice Thomas would give to his younger self on the day that he created his YouTube account, and so much more. I've been saying this for a while with people like Thomas Frank today, with people like Ali Abdul, who I'm recording with next month. These are the people whose content has informed much of my view of how to be productive, of how to get more out of life, of how to do more living, right? And so to be able to sit down with people like Thomas today to bring you this conversation, uh, it's just great. It's surreal. This is what this podcast is about, right? Three and a half years in, 158 episodes in, being able to sit down with people like Thomas and have these conversations is slightly surreal. So I'm really excited for you to hear this one. I know that you're definitely going to get a lot of value from it. But just before then, if you're new here, do make sure that you're subscribed to Life and Lessons on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever it is you're listening to this right now. There are so many more great conversations just like this one coming your way. And I don't want you to miss them. But in the meantime, here it is. Episode number 158 of Life and Lessons with Thomas Frank. So Thomas Frank, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me on the show. So I've been having a long think about what we can speak about today, right? I was just explaining before we began recording that I've been watching your content for a long time. And to be honest, your content has kind of been this guide for me throughout the last few years of life, because whenever I'm faced with a productivity issue or a question that I need an answer to in the space of kind of optimizing my life slightly, I'll go onto YouTube as we all do. I'll type in a question and more often than not, you appear at the top, which means that more often than not, you've been this mentor for me through the internet. And so I've been trying to work out how we can best spend our time together today to, to give those listening the most uh, use possible. And I've, I've landed on this idea of running through all of the different things I've learned from you, right? All of the different stages of an optimal day to give those listening a rough idea as to how they can plan their optimal day. And in doing so, kind of impart all of the knowledge that you have into a little hour long pocket. How does that sound? Sure. Let's uh, craft an ideal day then. There are, there are 14 sections here, which gives us about five minutes per section to give you an idea of roughly what we're aiming for here. Um, but before we go into the specifics of a day, I want to zoom out a little bit. I've been watching some of your videos recently around the idea of goal setting and intention setting. And so I guess it's fair to say that to have an ideal day, we need to know what that idea, sorry, what that ideal day looks like, right? What are we aiming for? What are we doing in life? So Perhaps we can begin by speaking about broader goal setting. How do you approach your goal setting? Yeah, I mean, so it, it really depends on what the goal is. Uh, I was just talking with another person about goal setting today, and we were kind of wrapping on the idea that some goals are very tightly coupled with the actions that you take in order to achieve them. And then some goals are quite far away from those actions. So great example of the former category would be a project that I worked on last year where I wanted to create a website that has full documentation on how to use Notion's formula feature, which if you haven't used it, it's very similar to Excel formulas. 
Uh, but Notion never really documented their functions in the formula feature. There's very, very brief documentation in the tool itself, but there's not like a website you can go to with an article on, say, how date format works or add date or anything like that. So I wanted to make that. And that required me to basically spend four months almost every day writing technical documentation, building example databases. And my goal there was I wanted this to exist in the world and I wanted to deeply understand it. So the actions I was taking in order to achieve that goal were very tightly coupled to the goal itself. Every day I'd show up, uh, maybe I'm writing an article on modulus. So I have to go learn what modulus is from a mathematical perspective. I have to go build an example database, implementing it in code. And in doing that, I end up with a piece of the documentation that now exists in the world. So it's like super A to B. Um, now with like going to the gym, some people love going to the gym. Some people love the act of challenging their bodies, of getting stronger. But when it comes to why most people go to the gym, it's a pretty decoupled goal. Most people are not super interested in getting, uh, you know, an amount of extra strength. They want to look good naked. And, you know, going to the gym and doing three sets of squats three times a week is not super tightly coupled with I want to look good and I want to feel good. Like these are sort of like separate things. So in that context, I find that it usually helps to have additional uh, what I'll call augmentations to your self-discipline set up to help you actually carry out those actions on a consistent basis. In my case, that's a lifting coach. So I've got a, a coach who will set program for me. I'll actually type in the sets and reps I did for each uh, exercise at the weights I used. And then I will even film my last set so I can send it to him for critique. And having my coach lends a little bit of extra real world accountability. So I'm not just relying on my own brain to keep myself consistent. So it really just depends on what is the goal? What's the core of the goal? What do you want out of it? And how close are the actions you're taking on a day-to-day -day basis to that core of what you want? And so perhaps we can we can dive into the next point by connecting those two thoughts, right? So you've you've got these goals in one form or another, and you realize, as you just said, that in order to translate those goals into some sort of outcome, we need to be taking action. Now, I see a lot of people fall down, right, where they have a goal. It's the, it's the beginning of the year. It's still kind of early in the year right now. And people have these goals, but they never translate that into the action, right? Because it's that messy middle of how do we go about doing that? And I guess the the simple answer is we translate that into, into a schedule, right? Into an agenda for the day, into a plan of action. So how do we go about planning each of our days effectively to be moving towards those goals? Depends on how obsessed with the goal you are, I think. Uh, like, you know, going back to the notion formula documentation I was writing, I was obsessed with that. I did not need a schedule. Uh, I'd wake up and the first thing I wanted to do was go to the coffee shop and write technical documentation on date formats. As nerdy as that sounds, that's where my brain was at that time. So I didn't need time boxing. I didn't need any kind of technique. Uh, what I did need a bit of help with though, was ensuring that I still went to the gym. And so having my coach uh, and, and also mentally committing to, okay, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to go to the gym first thing, and then I can come home and I can shower and I can go to the coffee shop. And that decision was made because I know from past experiences, if I don't go to the gym first thing in the morning, I'm probably not going to do it. I'm going to get caught up in my work. It's going to be 6.30 p.m. by the time I'm done. And by that time, I don't want to go to the gym. It's super crowded. It's just not going to happen. I'll say tomorrow. So uh, looking at your past experiences, I think is a very important 
part to determining uh, whether or not you need a tight schedule? And if so, how to construct that schedule? Um, just kind of looking at like, at what points in the day am I more motivated to do X versus Y? It's interesting you say there about moving your, your visit to the gym early in the morning helps, right? So I, uh, maybe this time last year, actually, I, I began time boxing in such a way where I'd put into my calendar first, all of the things that are kind of optional, right? Going to the gym, going for a walk in the middle of the day, um, even going out to get lunch somewhere that isn't the shop next door that sells terrible foods, right? Putting in all of the things that are definitely negotiables and then building my day around that using time boxing. Um, and then also having little hacks, like there's a block in my day every day for an hour that I just call in Google Calendar emails and admin. And it's like 3 p.m. and my energy is kind of not where it was at 8 a.m. But I then fire through like 10 to 15 quick tasks and suddenly that momentum's back. Do you, on the tasks that you're less obsessed with, the things that you know you should be doing, but it's perhaps not as fun to do, do you have any hacks or tips that you use to keep that momentum in your day? Uh, that's a good question. I honestly never really used time boxing myself, maybe a little bit back in college, especially when I had like a, a strict class schedule. Um, then it was more important to identify, oh, I've got an hour and a half in between these two classes. Let me get this homework done, that kind of thing. Um, now, almost it's almost like email and bookkeeping and that kind of stuff. Like the stuff I still have to do these days, that's very mentally easy. So I almost don't even have to schedule it. It's just like if I'm having an afternoon slump and I don't want to work on something more substantial and I don't have a big deadline, then let me just take care of some emails. Uh, I don't really schedule it. Um, it's kind of like hard to pull from direct experience now because I'm very fortunate to be in this period of my career where I freaking love what I do. I love making technical content, teaching people notion. Um, I've been fortunate enough to fall into this niche where it's profitable and I can kind of wake up and just choose to work on a thing that I find is interesting. And it, it, it aligns well with what the audience wants in the past though. Uh, there have been many videos where I'm like, I don't want to do this edit right now, or I don't want to do this research right now. Uh, and in that case, it's almost always like the deadline that helps me it just creates that time pressure. Um, and it's not so much of like, Oh, I need to wake up and actually time box. It's more like, well, the video is due Friday. So I know roughly how many hours it's going to take. I know the actions I need to take. Let's just execute on it. On a bit of a tangent, do you think that the the years and years and years of going through the things that you didn't want to do to get to a point where you now have this, this life and this business that allows you fortunately to do the majority of things you want to do the majority of the time, do you think that almost leaning on that previous version of yourself and realizing that it hasn't always been this way, that actually you've worked incredibly hard to, to have this life is something that actually in itself motivates you, right? Because you know the other side. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, you could think of this uh, as analogous to the way that societies work on a macroeconomic scale. A uh, hundred years ago, the average person was growing their own food, and now, like we have, through the march of time and technological progress and systems building, built a world where the the average person, at least in a developed nation, does not have to work on growing their own food. Those have been that that whole part of life has been essentially taken care of for you. you. Go to the store, you get whatever you want. Maybe you cook, maybe you don't. Maybe you just order food all day. And you know what? What was the primary concern of your day now becomes like a total of thirty minutes time, and then you can you can focus on other things. Uh, I think that is what it means to be human and to progress. Is you you take things that take up a huge amount of your time and your resources, or maybe your time and resources are very limited. So you have to focus on these smaller scale things, you eventually get past them. 
you automate them, you delegate them, systematize them, and then you have the freedom to focus on other things. Um, so if you, if you think about that macroeconomic model and you distill it down to what you do as a person, you can see a lot of parallels. So I've gotten to a point in my life now where yeah, I have a business with employees. Uh, I have a director of ops. So almost anything that I don't want to do on a business scale, I can kind of just delegate that to somebody else. And that leaves a lot of freedom for what I want to do. But that, of course, did take a lot of time to build up. And I do remember there being times in my life where I had a much stricter morning routine. I had a much stricter list of things I had to get done because it was all on me. And yeah, I think to your point, I don't want to go back to that. <laughs> <laughs> but actually the inverse may also be true. I spot this a lot with people I speak to, right? Which is that because we all live such comfortable lives, you know, between, I don't know, like ice baths and going to the gym early in the morning as you perhaps do, um, it's almost as if once we get to a point where we're comfortable enough, we almost have that longing somewhere, at least some of us do, right? When we've come from this place where we want to build something, we have that longing to still have discomfort, right? Do you do you bake anything into your day, whether it's the gym or challenging yourself in something that you're not quite good at yet, where you're like, actually, you know, I'm too comfortable right now. I need to go and do this thing that I'm not competent in um, to feel that again. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's like, that's like my whole life now. <laughs> uh, it would have been easy uh, it wouldn't have been fulfilling and I wouldn't have liked it, but it would have been easy to continue making productivity videos forever. You know, we, we have models of people who have done it, um, you know, not to throw shade at anybody, but there are people who have made an entire career lifelong talking about productivity. David Allen being a great example. Um, he's not making new content all the time for the wider internet audience. He's more going into companies and doing consulting, but talking about a lot of the same things, implementing the same system with new people all the time. Could have done that forever. Uh, you know, learn the skills, keep doing it. Um, and there's probably a lot of nuance to what he does, but I, I know personally I could just have kept making productivity videos and not really push myself to learn. With what I'm doing now, the goal I have is to create this end-to-end -end educational resource for anybody who wants to learn Notion from beginner to expert. And expert means stuff like Notion formulas and Notion API. And I remember, I actually, I, I vividly remember this. I probably should have journaled it, but it's very bright in my mind. The day the Notion API launched, I was hyper intimidated because this goal of mine came about before the API launched. And I was like, I can learn the ins and outs of this tool. It's not that crazy. Like, I don't know it yet, but it's a few different blocks and databases and some other features I can learn this. When the API came out, I was like, oh, now it can connect to anything using programming code that I don't know. Um, and I'm not sure if you've played this game, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. It's a fantastic game if you haven't, but uh, there is like a, a plateau you start out on. This, and it's almost like the tutorial area and it's pretty big. So when you're playing, you're like, wow, this is, this is a huge area. Uh, and then you get this piece of tech that finally lets you go off the plateau and you realize like that was the tiniest part of the map and there's so much more. That's what I felt like when the API launched. I was like, I have gone off the tutorial plateau and now there's a whole big bad world out there. It's very intimidating. Um, but I'm also up for this challenge. Like I'll learn it. So let me just take a couple of months to learn JavaScript. <laughs> and I will force myself to learn how to work with APIs. And I will say it's been very rewarding. Uh, there's stuff that I've been able to do in my business that I wouldn't have been able to do if I didn't learn how to code. Um, but that's like the discomfort. And now it's just like a lot of my days are, oh, I want to make this piece of content, but I literally don't know how to teach it yet. So part of the process for this project is I got to go learn how to do this. 
And I got to learn how to do it well enough that I can competently teach it without looking like I'm stumbling through material that I haven't really mastered. And then the same thing with the gym. Um, And I would say it's like, it's less something that I did when I was younger, which was seeking out discomfort for discomfort's sake. I remember I did a 60 day cold shower challenge. Oh, wow. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm, I'm purely doing this for the benefits of the cold shower, which, you know, cold showers suck, but you do feel pretty good when you get out of it. Uh, no, that was that was a self-discipline exercise. It was like an exercise in voluntary acceptance of discomfort. And I feel like it's one of the best distillations of that concept because it's binary choice every day, repeated. Uh, do I turn the, the handle to the warm or do I turn the handle to the cold? There's really no weaseling out of it. There's can't be like, well, today I just couldn't get to the gym. It's like, no, you can get to the shower every day. And every day you get to make that choice, cold or hot. So uh, I did that for 60 days. But now it's like, I don't know, for better or for worse, I'm not like, oh, what can I seek out that's going to make me discomfort, uncomfortable for uncomfortable sake. It's more like, I want these things out of life. You know, I want to be a better husband. I want to be stronger. I want to learn more. I want to be an expert in this uh, area that I've chosen to make my career focus. That requires discomfort, um, not for its own sake, but in the course of getting to those goals. So somebody listening, they have found those goals in one form or another. They've planned their day using time boxing or some other method, hopefully around things that actually excite them. Um, now it's the end of the day, right? They need to get ready to go and implement this tomorrow. So we need to look at that kind of hour before bed, two hours before bed, where somebody's winding down. What kind of tips do you have to make sure that somebody's actually getting that good sleep? Um, so not even yet focusing on sleep, right? But the couple of hours beforehand that we all seem to butcher, myself included, I know all of the advice and yet I seldom follow it. What is the advice to it to have a good kind of wind down routine? The first thing I would say is just gauge what you're getting out of your wind down routine or lack thereof right now and ask yourself like are there real gaps uh am i not satisfied with my routine i've made videos in the past where i'm like you should wear blue blocking glasses an hour before bed or or ideally could turn off all screens and you should maybe do a journaling exercise and you should write down your plan for the day and you know like you can do all those things but only if they're getting you something that you want Uh, and I'll tell you like my night routine looks nothing like that. I usually end the day watching a show with my wife. Maybe I play a couple of matches of magic, the gathering on the computer and then go to bed. (laughs) Uh, and that's totally fine. Like I get enough sleep. I don't have trouble falling asleep. I don't feel like I am not well rested. My dog gets me up in the morning promptly at seven. And so there's no sleeping in, uh, that's totally fine. You know, and and I'm to the point in my life where I don't really need to wake up and write down a a specific list of everything I have to do because it's usually one big thing beyond like go up, you know, get up, go to the gym. Usually it's like today I'm podcasting, Um, you know, Monday I'm going to come in. That's probably going to be AI research day. That's just what it is all day long because I have a goal and I know exactly what I need to do to get it. done. But if you're like, hey, you know, I, I, I wake up and I feel like I don't know what to work on next. Okay, either wake up and make the first part of your day planning that day out. Or do it the night before and uh, have it planned when you wake up waiting for you. And there's almost like this beholdence to your past self where when you do it the night before, uh, you wake up and like now you kind of feel beholden to that plan. And that may work for some people. This is, I, I always butcher this because I can't remember where I read this or where I heard this. You may be able to attribute it for me. Um, the idea of the boss brain and the worker brain. So this is the reason why 
every night before I leave the office, I plan what I'm doing the next day, right? So you spend that 10% of your time in the boss brain where you're the boss and you tell the work or what to do the other 90% or whatever it might be working. Um, I'm not sure whether it's just that I'm pre-exposed to being slightly distracted, but in my past, if I didn't have that, like you say, the the previous version of me planning out my day, and it's not always completely strict, right? Because things happen when you run a business, as you know, um, but that's absolutely massive. Have you heard, just on a quick tangent, the idea of the um, the complaining good sleeper, the research around that? The complaining good sleeper? So um, I... I had a chat recently with a chap called David Robson who wrote the book, The Expectation Effect. And I was reading this chapter of his book around sleep and what you just said there really resonated, right? Because although I don't have the best wind down routine, I probably don't have the best sleep hygiene these days. Um, I feel at least like I get far better sleep now. I feel far more rested, far more recovered when I wake up compared to say three years ago when I had like a tracker on my finger and a whoop band on and I would be really anal about like eight and a half hours sleep and blue light blockers and everything. And so there's this research around the idea of expectations and they demonstrate this with sleep, which is that they took a control group of people and they just had their normal sleep, right? 50% of them were like, yeah, I'm fine. 50% complained. But then they took this, this separate group and they said, uh, you're going to wear this tracker. We're going to tell you how you slept last night go and sleep. And for those who had say eight hours, nine hours sleep, uh, all of the monitoring devices that were hooked up to them showed that they had exceptional sleep. They should have felt great. They woke them up the next morning. They said, yeah, listen, five hours sleep last night, really not good. You're going to feel terrible. And they reported all of the symptoms of sleep deprivation because they expected to do so. And it's so interesting that, that you say the same, right? You know, all of the good sleep hygiene, but following most of it, some of the time still leaves you feeling bad, right? If, you, if, you're, if you're overthinking, I think is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's like the power of suggestion, right? You've been told, oh, you're not getting good sleep. Oh, I guess I'm not. Uh, and, and I don't know, like there's definitely something to be said for uh, believing that your current state is the most optimal and then ignoring the optimizations you could make. Uh, and maybe that's true, you know? Maybe I would feel even better and I'd feel like Superman if I really did turn off all the screens two hours hours before bed and all that kind of stuff. But I guess when it comes down to it, like I'm happy and I'm healthy and I'm able to get what I want to get done, done when I'm obsessed with a project, I'm like in beast mode. Like I'm fine with that. So I don't know, like, you know, maybe there is optimizations that I could do, but I think one thing that I've accepted about life is you might not need to optimize everything to live the life that you want, to still achieve the goals you have and to be happy on a day-to-day basis. I don't have a perfect diet. Um, I drink alcohol. That's, you know, I think is fine because it's in moderation and it's not affecting my goals and it's not affecting my health negatively. Uh, but I, you know, I could say like, well, if I wanted to truly wring everything out of life and I wanted to be hundred percent optimized, then I would perfect my diet. I perfect my sleep hygiene, like all that kind of stuff. And, and I don't know, like, I think most people I know who have been very, very into productivity in, in their 20s and earlier in their life, they get to a point where they realize like the hyper optimization of every single part of your life doesn't really matter. Um, I think even someone like Tim Ferriss would agree with that. So yeah, I mean, it's it's useful to think about. It's useful to experiment with, but I don't think you have to like force yourself to do everything. And to your point with that whole finding with uh, the people who are told they only slept for five hours if you are hyper-focused on perfect optimization, I think you're always going to be falling up short. 
And, and maybe there is that negative effect there where you're telling yourself, I'm not doing all these things I should be doing. Therefore, everything's going wrong. And you almost like manifest this worse life for yourself. Have you ever in, because uh, funnily enough, actually, I say a lot on this podcast in the solo episodes recently that the last year or so, it almost feels like this coming of age. I've been documenting my life for three and a half years now on this podcast every week. And the first two and a half, I was that guy, right? I was trying to optimize everything, track everything, live by a spreadsheet. But then I realized it actually just balance and trying your best in most things most of the time is okay. Given that you're that guy who millions of people know as very productive and you produce these videos that give people so much value on these particular topics, at any point in your career, have you ever felt this this kind of tension where you're like, I'm telling people to do this thing, but actually I know that if I, if I don't do it, I'm still kind of okay? Uh, I, I feel no tension around that and I never have. So the way I've always thought of my video catalog and everything I've ever created is these are, I'm presenting you with options. And so if, if you find that there's something in your life you're not satisfied with, or you want to explore something in your life that may bring you rewards, that is the point of what I have created for you. Um, and a lot of people kind of get it wrong. A lot of people will say like, well, you've made all these videos. Like, are you saying I have to do every single one of these things? Some of these things contradict. And that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is I put out all these things that in their own way are helpful, or at least I believe them to be. Uh, I stand by them when I created them. But I don't do everything that I've ever created. And I don't think you need to as well. What I do think is you need to be clear about what you want. Uh, and then you need to go out and find the resources that will help you to get what you my favorite quote in the world, this is uh, from Bruce Lee. He said, adapt what is useful, reject what is useless, and add what is specifically your own. Uh, that, I believe, should be applied whenever you're taking anyone's advice or in taking anyone's content. Ask yourself, what can I pick out of this that's going to help me? And how can I tweak it to make it even better for me? Um, because what I made, I might have been like perfectly optimal for where I was personally at that stage in life. You might watch a video and you might be ahead of where I was at that time when I made it, or you might be behind where I was at the time when I made it. You might have uh, more resources, less resources, more time, less time. So you take what is useful out of it and you go, how can I apply this to my life in the most optimal way? Or is it even useful to apply it all? Speaking about hyper-optimizations, hyper perhaps optimizations for optimization's sake, it seems to be a huge trend right now, particularly with lab uh, podcasts like The Human Lab, for people to love obsessing over morning routines, right? Now, you've already given me a hint as to what your morning routine is. You're woken up at seven by the dog, you're off to the gym. Talk to me both about what your actual mornings look like most days, but then also what are some of the, uh, the best ways that we can get going in the mornings? Uh, <laughs> best way to get going is to get a dog. <laughs> at least, at least, at least a young dog. I have people who say like, well, their dog is 10 years old now and it just sleeps until noon. So maybe that's not helpful. But, um, you know, I, I used to do all sorts of wacky things to get myself up before, uh, I would normally get up. Like the, the one I probably got most well known for was I used a social media scheduling tool called buffer and I would schedule a tweet for 6am. Uh, and the tweet said, if you're seeing this, I slept in and I owe you $5, reply to this and I'll PayPal you $5. So the idea was I would have to wake up uh, early enough that I could get to my computer, log into Buffer and move the tweet to the next day so it never goes out. And that was extremely effective. Um, and I found that like, if you have something that forces you out of bed, it forces you out of like the sleepy mode because there's like Sleepy Tom and Sleepy Tom just wants to stay in bed and be lazy. 
and then there's like the real version of me or the awake version of me. And I have to transform from Sleepy Tom into the real version of Tom. Uh, and that takes effort. Now, when the dog gets out of her crate and she comes and starts bounding around and whimpering because she wants to go outside, it's very easy for me to get myself out of bed. It, the same way that it's easy when um, I have an early flight that I can't miss or when I've scheduled a tweet that will cost me lots of money if it goes out. Like I've created a reason for myself to get out of bed and transition myself into that waking state. Uh, and then I've also found through experimentation that there's a few different things that help that transition and make it easier and quicker. Uh, the, the simple version is water, sunlight, and movement. So if you can get out of bed, if you can immediately start moving a bit, it doesn't have to be a workout or squats or whatever. It could just be like walking downstairs to get a glass of water. That gets your body moving, kind of gets you out of that sleep state. If you can get some water, and ideally if you can get some sunlight, you know, I live in a northern climate, so I can't always get that. Sometimes it's dark in the mornings, but if you can get two out of the three at least, it's going to be much easier to wake up. Um, and then, you know, like the more structure there is, I think the easier it is to actually get stuff done. So one of the, uh, I would say, curses of working for myself is when I wake up, the moment I'm finished taking care of the pets, like feeding the dog, feeding the cat. There's nothing that's like, okay, the next thing you must do is X. Uh, so it's like, I have to decide, is the next thing I do go get breakfast? Is the next thing I do go to the gym? Is the next thing I do go to work? Whatever it is. Um, and that's where like, for, in my case, I have a lifting coach and that helps me get to the gym much more consistently than I otherwise would because I tend to be very obsessive about my work. Uh, a lot of times I want to wake up and immediately go to work. And I know I have to sort of resist that and get myself to the gym or go do some exercise first. So ideally, if you can get external things that uh, help to augment your self-discipline, you're going to be more successful in sticking to what you can. I'm completely with you on the point of the dog. Uh, we have just got a like six-month-old puppy. And the only thing I've been telling my friends for the last three or four months since we got him is I am not ready for children yet because it's like two minutes past seven in the morning and immediately he's barking and he's outside my door and he's scratching and he's crying. And I'm just like, man, I need imagine this, but with an actual human. So I think I'm taking no pun intended baby steps with the dog and uh, he gets me up early, but it's a struggle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it absolutely is for me as well. So it, it tends to uh, get me to go to bed earlier though. Which I don't know if this is just like uh, an introvert thing or a getting older thing, but it does feel like usually nothing interesting or good happens after 9 p.m. So I feel like I get a better day when I start going to bed around nine and I get up at six or seven. So we're out of bed now. We're ready to work um, both internally and externally. What kind of things can we be doing with our environment and with our mindset uh, to make sure that when we sit down at our desk or wherever it might be, we're actually able to work. Well, I mean, the main thing is keep it clean. So there is that uh, the concept from the professional cooking world called mise en place, everything in its place. And ideally, if you're coming to a desk that is well organized and you've closed all your programs, you don't have a million tabs open, that can be quite helpful. Uh, what I will temper this part of, of the question or the conversation with, um, and maybe I'll temper everything with this, is Obsession is the key ingredient to basically all productivity. When you are obsessed with something, any productivity technique, mise en place, whatever, like it kind of doesn't matter. Uh, and the people who are obsessed are not really listening to productivity podcasts in the first place. But I will say, having been through many periods of my life where I am obsessed and many where I'm not, 
when I'm obsessed, it doesn't matter. I could have a messy desk. I could have uh, like lunch on the desk from yesterday. I could have a million tabs open. I'm still going to get a ton of work done. Doesn't matter because my brain's interested in something and it will fight through whatever. Doesn't matter. When I'm not, though, that's when I find that the optimization is much more helpful um, because it's not like my brain is super excited to do anything. So I kind of have to create the structure and remove the friction in order to make it easier to actually get started. And then focusing in slightly on distractions. I spoke probably this time last year to Nero, and of course, one of his big pieces is this idea that I forget the number, something like 70% of distractions begin with an internal trigger, right? So not a, a ping ring or a ding as he calls it from an external trigger, but like a, a negative emotion or a certain feeling or a belief that we're not obsessed with what we're working on. We don't believe in the outcome of this. So we're just going to pick up Twitter because that pacifies us for a few minutes. What kind of advice would you share to somebody who constantly finds themselves distracted, but they can't pinpoint why, right? How can they move closer to that point of obsession to make sure that those internal triggers are silenced? Yeah. So there's a few different parts to this. Um, obsession usually comes from interest and interest I find comes from exploration. So if you don't feel like there's anything in your life right now where you're super obsessed with it, maybe that means you need to go explore a bit. Uh, I have a video on my channel called this is why you're not inspired. Um, it's one of the videos that I put the most effort into. It it didn't do super well. Like it did okay, but it's not like a outsized performance video, but it's one that I'm incredibly proud of. And the crux of that video is this idea that Steve Jobs communicated about uh, the most creative thinkers are people who are exploring a lot and they're collecting a lot of dots because when you collect a lot of dots, you can connect a lot of dots. And that is how you solve innovative problems. That's how you get interested in new things. Um, that is absolutely how I ended up in the career space I'm in now. It was very much like a lot of dots I connected over the years. And I realized, oh, well, I can make these really cool software tutorials and I can use all my video skills and I can use my presentation skills. It's like this, this cool uh, career that didn't exist before. Um, so if you're not obsessed, like start collecting more dots and see if you can get into something that does interest you more. However, there are still going to be periods of your life where you almost have to like put in your dues and you're just kind of doing grunt work that you know you need to complete to get to a certain level where there's going to be more opportunities. And that's where um, the dual pursuits of basically removing the ease of getting into a distraction come in and then building up your attention muscle come in. So we, we said that 70% of uh, distractions are internally triggered. You're reading through an article and you're like, I want to go check Twitter. This is boring or this is hard or whatever it is. Um, the harder it is to actually act upon that impulse, the less often you're going to do it. So a very classic and I think kind of obvious productivity technique that a lot of people, including myself, don't really practice is uh, turning your phone off or logging out of social media apps, or maybe even using one of those blockers. I think personally, logging out of the apps is enough. Because if you're smart, and you have two factor auth turned on, that creates enough of friction, uh, that you're just not going to sign in half the time, like I gotta go find my password, I gotta find my 2FA code, like it's just so boring, I'm not going to do it. And so the impulse passes, and you don't act upon it. Uh, and that is inextricably connected to the other piece of this, which is building up your attention muscle. And that is basically just your self-discipline and your ability to ignore that impulse to act on a distraction 
or to go get distracted when you're doing something difficult. And the more you can do that, the more you can recognize that impulse and put it to the side and keep forging ahead on what you're doing, the easier it's going to get because you become better and better at doing it. I was smiling when you were saying about logging out there because as simple as it sounds, right? I I just, I'm not logged into anything other than Facebook because we need to use Facebook ads library, uh, sorry, Facebook ads manager. Um, but I will still, all of these years later, do command T enter in Chrome and go to the Twitter homepage where I'm not logged in three or four times a day and I'm not logged in, so I don't go on it, but it's crazy how kind of deeply ingrained that kind, that keyboard pattern is where I know, like you say, if I was logged in, each of those command T, T enters would be a big window of distraction. It's, it's, it's mad how these simple things are the most effective, right? I removed uh, Twitter from Siri search on my phone. Like it's something you can do where you can literally not have an app come up when you swipe down and type for it. Uh, so it was buried in a folder. And all that did was just get me used to <laughs> swiping over and doing the exact sequence of taps and swipes to get to Twitter to the point where I could do it with my eyes closed. <laughs> but once I started logging out, that's when I was like, oh, okay, this works. Because especially on my phone, it's such a pain to open up my password manager, get the password, open up the 2FA thing, get that. Like, I'm just not going to do it. Uh, unless I'm intentionally trying to check Twitter because I want to say, like, go answer all my, my mentions for the day or something like that. So on the inverse of being too distracted, and I'm not sure whether I'm inventing a problem here that doesn't exist, but do you have any sort of structure for you to know when, okay, look, Tom, now it's time to take a break. You've been, you've been working on this thing for six hours. I know that if I don't take a break now, tomorrow's going to have a knock-on effect. Do you have any sort of system there where when you're in beast mode, as you called it, you know that actually you still need to break up your day slightly so that you're not going too hard? Uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty bad at that, to be honest. <laughs> I would say um, be married. <laughs> so your wife starts texting you and being like, when are you going to come home? Are you going to come home for dinner? That helps. Uh, otherwise like, yeah, when I am actually in beast mode and I'm like, I'm just obsessed with this and I want to do nothing else. Sometimes I'll work till 7 PM and I'll wake up the next day and I'll get right back to it. Cause that's all I want to do. Uh, and I think that's fine as long as you are keeping up with the other areas of your life. So it becomes an issue if I'm starting to skip gym sessions or if I'm not coming home at all, I'm not giving attention to my wife, giving attention to my friends and my family and my pets and things like that. So I didn't, I, I think instead of focusing on how do I quit the thing I'm obsessed with, instead I focus on how do I ensure that I'm keeping up with everything else. And the knock-on effect is I necessarily have to only have a certain amount of time carved out for the thing that I'm super obsessed with. So in that gray area, in the moments where you're, you're very uh, focused on a project or whatever it might be, right? And you're, you're switching off at 7 p.m. say, you're coming back in the next morning, you're going again. At that cutoff point, I know that Carl, is, I think it's Carl Newport speaks about this in maybe deep work. He has this kind of ritual that he goes through um, to be like, okay, look, like I'm done for the day now. I'm going to do these three things. And this signifies to me that actually like this is my time off. I don't need to think about this project. Do you have anything there to allow yourself to be present in those other moments of life that you speak of when you're not working? I think it really comes down to doing things that are active. Uh, again, it's, it's less the idea of trying to shut your brain off and stop thinking about the thing that you're no longer engaged in and more filling that void at home with other things. So I know this came up on my podcast many times when I used to do the podcast with Martin. We would talk about how 
uh, the best way to ensure that you stop at a certain time if you're trying to have an end time to your workday is to have plans afterwards, which might be, uh, say, going to the climbing gym and meeting a friend there. If you go to the climbing gym, you're talking with your friend, you are actually trying to uh, send bouldering problems that are challenging for you. You're probably not thinking about work because you're already engaged. <laughs> and if you don't have anything to fill the time, then it's going to be pretty hard to not think about work. And a different person on your show might say, the answer to this is meditation and breath work. So you can think about being present in the moment. But I am the least interested person in meditation in probably the entire world. <laughs> My meditation is going to the gym or playing magic or playing strategy games or going for long walks. Like I don't sit there and, and focus on my breath. Um, you know, maybe I should, but again, like that's a hyper optimization that I just don't care about. So for me, it's like, how can I make sure I'm engaged in other interesting things where I am giving my attention to the people I care about uh, and, and the knock on effect, the side effect is not thinking about the stuff I was obsessed with at work. Do you think actually having a competency in the sphere of being fairly productive helps you be present without having to think about it? Because I find that the the moments in my life, running a business, doing a podcast, trying to juggle all these plates, where I am the worst at all of those things is when I'm slacking in one, right? Because it's easy to be present with your family when you know that everything's taken care of in the office. Whereas if you've had a terrible week and you're slightly less productive and you've got this to-do list that's waiting for you, it's almost as if like it's quite cyclical right once you get into a flow of things it's very easy to disconnect because you know that it's taken care of uh yeah absolutely agree with that um it, it's yeah there's like a very cyclical effect here where when you have scheduled things outside of work that you know you have to do that almost creates some time pressure that i won't say forces you to be productive at work but it does encourage you to be more productive and more present when you have no boundaries on your work and your personal life, things tend to blend together. And when they blend together, they're not efficient because you aren't fully focused on one thing at one time. Just sort of, you've got this jumble of everything in your head and you don't really know what to fully put your attention onto. So I know you said towards the beginning of our conversation that your diet isn't the best all the time, but purely from like a trying to get the most out of the day perspective. So putting everything else to one side when it comes to diet for a moment. Do you have any rules that you live by? Because I've just this second finishing, sorry, finished reading uh, Genius Foods by Max Lugavere, and it blows my mind, the research around how foods control our cognitive abilities, our focus, our, our short-term ability to get anything done. Do you have any kind of, like, I'm in project mode right now, I need to be productive, I'm avoiding X or I'm eating Y, or is it more just kind of intuitive at this point? <laughs> I have no rules. <laughs> I just generally try to eat pretty well. Uh, I eat a lot of poke, which is probably my favorite food. And uh, I feel blessed that that's my favorite food because it's fairly healthy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's like, you know, I realize like I don't have the best diet, but I also don't have like a standard American diet that's just crap. And what about your time in the gym? How does that play into your your broader ability, not just to bench press more, but actually to to be focused in the moment, right? Because again, to, to revert back to these, these kind of revelations I'm having very recently in my life, going to the gym in the morning, spending that hour or whatever moving kind of pre 9am, it's crazy just how many extra hours on the end of the day that gives me because I've, I've moved, right? Yeah, that helps a lot. Um, you know, and I, I don't really work out trying to get cognitive benefits. I just know that it's a very useful thing for me to do, a good habit to be in. I want to stay strong and healthy. 
I want to look the way that I look. Um, but yeah, that absolutely has cognitive benefits. And I, if anyone's interested in this particular part of the conversation, there's a great book by Dr. John Rady called Spark. Uh, and that's a whole book that basically just goes into what science has found exercise does to the brain and does to specific aspects of cognition. So there are chapters on attention. Uh, and Dr. John Rady is his focus through his entire career has been on ADHD and attention deficit. So he's got a lot to say about how exercise positively affects people who actually have diagnosed attention disorders. Um, there's chapters on like depression, on stress, on cognition and memory. And in all cases, science has found that um, exercise benefits pretty much all aspects of cognition uh, after you do the exercise, which makes sense because. If you think about um, biology and evolution, we are sort of evolved to move, to deal with a, a rapidly changing environment that we have to navigate, um, and, and that's what our brains are adapted for. So if you do that, you're basically exercising your brain in addition to your body in the way that it's adapted throughout millions of years. Uh, and if you don't do that, you're kind of starving your brain of a, of a crucial component that it needs to function properly. So I want to end on two slightly broader questions, right? I've been fairly prescriptive in all the different areas we've spoken about so far. Um, the first one is about people's misconceptions about this whole stuff, because, you know, we're 45 minutes in, give or take. Somebody's probably listened to this and realized that actually all of the components we've spoken about so far, the, the insight you've shared is fairly simple, right? I think I can get away with saying that. And yet evidently, it's effective. So with the the millions of subscribers, the hundreds of millions of views, I imagine emails, tweets, DMs, like you're getting people asking questions constantly, right? I see it in your comment section. What do people get wrong about this stuff most often? What are the biggest misconceptions? The one that immediately jumps to mind is this idea of toxic productivity. And I, I've seen a backlash against it a lot in, on the internet over the last few years. Uh, and I almost think there's a certain group of people who know they can just get views by making a video on toxic productivity at this point. Like I've seen people use my face in a thumbnail and go, this is what's wrong with productivity. And then they proceed to talk about things I've talked about on my channel. <laughs> um, so what I think happens is there's so much information out there about every aspect of productivity and there's all these different voices and then each individual voice is going to say different things with each piece of, co piece of content. So if you watch one video of mine, you might come away thinking, okay, Thomas Frank says you should be hyper-disciplined and, and really strive towards your goals and just hit it hard. Uh, and another video that you didn't watch, I talk about balance and I talk about goal setting and I talk about stages of your life. And you know, I'll, we'll get to that broader point of sometimes you're in a mode where you really got to hustle and other times you want to take a break and life is cyclical. And you didn't see that video because maybe somebody clipped uh, just 30 seconds of me talking that makes me sound like I'm just preaching hustle culture. And that compounds to everyone in the space. And we get this idea of, oh, there's everyone just preaching toxic productivity and uh, they think we should just work and never rest. And that's really not the truth. I'm sure there are people out there who are like into toxic productivity and they, they don't have balance in their messaging. But most of the people I know do actually have balance in their messaging. Um, and that, that nuance gets lost when people sort of, uh, take this reductionist viewpoint and they categorize everyone into one big lump of just people talking about productivity or hustle culture. So the, the main thing I would say here is again, adapt what is useful for you 
get clear on what you want, on who you want to be, on where you want to go, and then uh, you know, be confident in that definition of who you are because that enables you to be an explorer. It enables you to be like almost a sampler. You're going through all this material that's being presented and you're going, let me see if that piece right there that's interesting to me is useful. Don't think that uh, you have to take everything at face value or you have to implement what you hear from somebody exactly the way that they implement because the reality is none of us know for sure what we're doing. Even science, uh, especially like psychology and in those more fuzzy fields that aren't like, uh, you know, fundamentals of physics. Science is more like we, we, we know from a probabilistic standpoint, given the evidence from certain studies, what we think works, but we're not super sure. <laughs> You can read into like p-values if you want to get into the weeds on that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, even science doesn't know for sure what the best practices are half the time. So, you know, use it as a guide and adapt it to your own goals. It's interesting, this this idea of toxic productivity, hustle culture, whatever you want to call it. Um, I've never really bought into the idea that there is that much content even promoting that, right? I look at people who kind of project this negative view of being productive or having goals or whatever it might be. And to me, it just looks like cynicism. It looks like a cop-out because it's far easier to be like, those people over there who are trying to build something are bad and I'm the virtuous one because I, I don't opt into that. Even, you know, Gary Vee, right? Gary Vee is seen as this king of hustle culture. But if you watch conversations such as his chat with Matt Diavella, there's so much nuance in his points. He's not saying go and work for 18 hours a day, every single day. Like the, the perceived idea that hustle culture even exists doesn't really hold up, um, to scrutiny. Yeah. Uh, I, I have like my issues with Gary that are different and for a different conversation, but you're absolutely right. So Gary is a perfect example where the clip that will go viral is um, someone who was asking a question at one of his keynotes and they're like, Hey, I'm really trying to build an agency and I can't get customers. And I just, I don't know what to do, man. And you know, Gary's in the spot and he's like, okay, what you need to do is spend eight hours a day sending DMS to people on Instagram until you get clients. And that's, that's the soundbite. And people then extrapolate, extrapolate that to say, Gary V preaches nothing but hustle, 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 work 16 hours a day, never sleep. And that's what he's all about. And you're absolutely right. If you go and dig into his longer form interviews uh, or you watch more than just one clip, he absolutely will acknowledge that balance is helpful, that rest is helpful, and you're going to go through different stages of life. But when presented with the question, I'm not getting clients, I don't know what to do, I feel like I've tried everything. Um, yeah, sometimes the answer is you're not working hard enough. You're not doing enough outreach. So you know, I'm not going to couch my advice to you in this feel good, uh, cyclical take breaks talk. I, I may be need to give you a little bit of tough love right now and say, get your butt in the DMS and do more outreach. <laughs> and then it's up to you to figure out when you need to rest. Exactly that. Exactly that. So for my last big open-ended question, I want to take things back slightly, right? Because for the last hour or so, you've essentially given us a, a top level overview of the ways that we can make our lives this, this slight bit more effective, but I'm sure it's fair to say that it hasn't always been this way for you in the same way that it hasn't always been this way for everybody else. So I want to take you back to a very specific date, and that is the 2nd of December 2006, 5,928 days ago, when a, a much younger Thomas Frank sat there and he typed in youtube.com, he hit enter, and he created an account on this uh, this fuzzy little video website as it was back then. You've shared a huge amount of advice with lots of people between that date 
and today, right? But imagine that younger Thomas clicked on this first video on YouTube and it was you, it was older Thomas, 5,900 days later. What advice would you want to share with younger Thomas in that first video he watched? Oh, there's too much, there's too much butterfly effect stuff here. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to change the outcome of my entire life. I kind of <laughs> like how it went. <laughs> I'm telling you nothing, young Thomas. I'm telling you absolutely nothing. Uh, I don't think I would say anything specific because like the crux of this question really is what, what would I say to somebody who was at that stage of my life? Um, which 2006, I would have been like 15 years old. Uh, and the biggest thing I would say is never stop exploring, never stop pushing yourself to learn and, um, follow the 1% rule, which I don't think we talked about on this episode, but, this is basically my idea that instead of trying to make a perfect piece of work the first time, which you can't do, there's just stuff you don't even know you know, or you don't know you don't know. Instead, say, I'm going to do one video a week or one article a week or whatever you're interested in. I'm going to put myself on some kind of schedule of practice and ideally output, ideally challenge. And with each iteration on that cycle, I'm going to get 1% better at something interesting to me. And I think if you follow that North Star of, I prioritize exploration, I prioritize improving and learning constantly and never giving up on that, and I prioritize output and feedback cycles, you're going to do just fine. And ideally, that won't butterfly affect me into being like a McKinsey consultant or something. Well, I mean, Etheria can't because we're sat here chatting, which means the channel exists, which means everything turned out okay for both versions of Thomas. That's true. Time travel is all cyclical. I, my hand's not disappearing yet. I'm fine. <laughs> Amazing. Listen, thank you so much for this. I've, I've really enjoyed this. I'm going to make sure there's a link to your website in the show notes for anyone to head over there. If people want to go elsewhere to find your work, where can they go? Absolutely. So yeah, the website, thomasjfrank.com has got links to basically everything. If you want to interact with me, Twitter, uh, Tom Frankly, I hang out there a lot. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.